Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. podcast from the canon an SB Nation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host PD and today we have our first ever mailbag episode. I solicited on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. Please follow us if you aren't already and I got questions from several of you so thank you for that. But first I wanted to talk about the week that we've had and issue an apology. I have to take an L here. Uh, Last week, I wrote a column asking if the Blue Jackets were a playoff team. Now, this was a common topic of conversation because we hit Thanksgiving. It's a well-known thing in the NHL that, you know, if you're in a playoff spot on Thanksgiving, there's about 8% chance that you make the postseason. Now, I wasn't saying that the Jackets were going to make the playoffs. I still am not sure that they will. I was just presenting some reasons for and against. And Then they went on the road and they lost four straight games (laughs) and fell out of a playoff position. Now, part of me says, hey, you're you're rational. You've studied math and science. You know, you should know better that that jinxes aren't a thing. The other part of me says that you're a Cleveland sports fan. You should know better that jinxes are absolutely a thing. So to the extent that I jinx the Blue Jackets, uh, I sincerely apologize. But it actually might not be my fault. Uh, The Blue Jackets are just a really weird team this year. They are a much different team at home than on the road. They are 9-3 at home, and they are 4-7 on the road. At home, they are outscoring their opponents 46-31. On the road, they are getting outscored 28-44. This is just such a dramatic difference. And I I don't know how to explain that. You know, the players talk about how much, you know, they enjoy playing in front of the Columbus fans. And normally I would brush that off as, oh, well, they're just saying that to make us feel good. And, you know, hey, I appreciate it. I'm glad they say that. It does make me feel good. But I've never thought that fans actually had that much impact. But you look at these numbers and, wow, we actually really might be having somewhat of an impact. I feel like when the Jackets are at home, they are better able to withstand some adversity Um, You know, they can be down a few goals, they can come back, they can tie it up, they can take a lead, they can blow a lead and come back, etc. Whereas some of these road losses, they they go down early and they just can't come back from it. It's really, really bizarre. You know, and maybe it's just a matter of quality of opponent. You know, we've 
had a light strength of schedule at home. The road games have been mostly against better opponents. But even then, some of the bad teams that we've played on the road, we have not played very well. Arizona, that was a closer game than it should have been. Buffalo was closer until we blew it out. So it, it is just baffling. Um, Elvis Merz-Leakins is a player who is also very, very different at home than on the road. He is 9-1 this season at home, and he is 1-3 on the road. He has a 935 save percentage at home and an 873 save percentage on the road. 2.2 goals against average at home, 4.32 goals against on the road, which is, that is just absolutely unacceptable. Any goalie that had a 4.32 GAA uh, would quickly be sent down to the AHL, if not just outright waived. So he's, you know, a Vezina candidate at home, and he is a fringe AHLer on the road. That is just so bizarre. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. Speaking of goalies, though, have to give a shout-out to Daniil Tarasov, our Russian goalie prospect who had been playing in Cleveland, splitting time there. He got to make his NHL debut last week in Dallas. Uh, he got called up on very short notice. Uh, Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens both came down with an illness, not COVID, thankfully, and Tarasov was woken up by Chris Clark, the Monsters GM, told, hey, <laughs> get to Dallas. He hopped on a flight, got there, had time to take a nap at the hotel, and then he played, and he took the loss, but I thought he played really well. There were maybe some first-game jitters. There's certainly some aspects to his game that he's going to need to refine, but you know, the tools were there. This is a guy that, he's a big guy. He's super athletic. Even when he wasn't in the right position, he had the athleticism to get to the puck anyway and make the save. And he played well enough to keep the team in the game. Then he got to play a second straight game two nights later in Washington. Again, came up with the loss, but again, played well enough to keep the Jackets in it. So, Really exciting to see Tarasov make his debut. Has to make the team feel a lot better about their goalie depth for the future. Might make it easier to move on from Jonas Corposalo at some point this season. So that is something to keep an eye on. So the Jackets came home from the road trip on Sunday, played the San Jose Sharks, and once again, it was that home cooking magic, and they came away with a 6-4 win. They go on the road Tuesday night to play Toronto. This will be the first time facing Toronto since they played them in the bubble. First time for the Jackets being in that arena since they were in the bubble against Tampa. So it's good to get back to Canada. Toronto is a really, really good team. So this is going to be another very difficult road test. I would like to see the Jackets at least give a 60-minute effort. Even if they don't win, at least play well enough to to win. No, don't just get run off the ice for the whole game or even for a period at it's, they've been doing too much of that. Then they come home against Anaheim, who is playing surprisingly well this year. Sonny Milano, our old friend, has been very hot playing with Trevor Zegras. So we'll see how they do at home against Anaheim. And then we have the Pacific Northwest trip. The usual Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. But we also get Seattle. We get to go to Seattle for the first time. So again, I want to see a much better road trip this time from the Jackets. All right, when we come back... We will have some of your questions. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And we're back. As I said, we solicited questions at CBJ Cannon on Twitter. And here is some of what you asked. There were questions about the Blue Jackets. There were questions about other things. Uh, I did say, ask me anything. So here we are. Uh, first question comes from Small Market Insecurities. He says, uh, when Liney returns, which line do you start him off on? Uh, this is a great question. First of all, I just want line eight back this team really misses him uh, especially on the road where they've struggled to score goals we need a guy who is a goal scorer and i just i feel so bad for the season that line A's had the situation he's been in he he needed to have a bounce back season and he played really really well to start the season and then he got hurt and you just never want something like that to throw off a hot streak and then as he was hurt then his father passes away suddenly um, and, and this week, uh, Aaron Portson reported that Line A is back in Finland for the memorial service. Our, our heart goes out to Line A. Please uh, keep him and his family in your prayers. Um, I, I can't imagine how difficult that is. Not not only to lose a parent, but to lose a parent when you know you live on a different continent um, and you couldn't be with your family right away when it happened, um, and that he's going to have to you know leave his family then come back here. Uh, it's just it's so tough. So I hope that he comes back soon. As for what happens when he does come back, I I put him right back in there. I use him a lot. He's just such a talent, and I think he could help this team a lot. I would go back to the line that he was on before, uh, where he had Jenner at center and Jake Voracek on the other wing. I thought that line did really well. I thought Line and Voracek was a good combination, so let's go with that. That would make them the second line I'd want to see would be Chinikov, Sillinger, and Bjorkstrand. I don't know that we've seen that combination exactly, but I think it would work really well. But I would be willing to shuffle those centers and wingers up a little bit, but that is who I think our top six should be. Uh, if you wanted to put Bjorkstrand with Line and Jenner, that'd be fine, and have Voracek back with the kids. I think that could work as well. Uh, third line, then I'd go Nyquist, Roslevic, Domi. Those guys have been all a little bit hot and cold. I think they could... Get each other going a little bit. And then fourth line, I would stick with Robinson, Corrali, Texier. Um, of course, it's not a traditional fourth line. Often it is getting more like second line minutes. They can be a shutdown line. They can provide a spark of energy. And they can score goals. Texier, you know, has gotten a quote-unquote promotion to other lines this past week, um, which he's deserved. But on the other hand, like, I keep him with Corrali and Robinson. Because that seems to be what works really well for Texier right now. Um, and that line's been really productive. So let it ride with that is what I say. But yeah, line A, put him on the first line. He is He's a first line winger. Uh, put him back on the power play. The power play could use a little little boost from having him back out there. Um, but yeah, give me Vorchek or Bjorkstrand on his opposite wing. And Jenner or Sillinger at center. Um and I think it would help a lot. Next up, from at the Hockey Boomer, who is the most Jim Harbaugh player on the roster? I hate this question. 
<laughs> because I feel there's no answer I can give that's not going to make people upset. There's a lot of Ohio State fans listening. I'm an Ohio State fan. We don't like to talk about Jim Harbaugh at all, um, especially not this year now that he finally beat Ohio State. So my first thought was the obvious one, Zach Wierenski, because they're both Michigan men. But I feel like Zach Wierenski is a little too stoic to be like Harbaugh. You know, I think you need someone who's a lot more intense and vocal. Um, so maybe Boone Jenner. But again, I, I like Boone Jenner too much to compare him to Harbaugh. Harbaugh is a little weird. So I was thinking of kind of weird guys like Line A or Merzlikens, but but they're too cool. And Harbaugh is weird in a very nerdy way, especially as a coach. You know, as a quarterback, he was a jock. As a coach, he's a nerd, especially when he wears like the glass, like the reading glasses on the sideline. Really weird. So my last thought would be maybe Max Domi. Not so much off the ice, because Max Domi is super likable off the ice in a way that Harbaugh isn't. But I think the intensity that Domi has, the way that he sometimes loses control on the ice, that reminds me a lot of like Harbaugh throwing his tantrums on the sideline. Again, not I don't love that answer. People are going to get upset. If you have a better answer, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Right, shifting to some uh, non-jackets questions that came up. The guy Vlad calls, at Curtis Deem. I love that username. Uh, what does Mr. Tom Brady smell like? My guess is that he smells bad. You know, everything else about his life is so perfect that there's got to be something kind of secret that is wrong. So I'm going to guess that he smells bad. And I would guess that he smells like some essential oils or herbs or something new agey that just smells really bad but apparently gives him some kind of health benefits or keeps him you know unnaturally young or, or some crap like that all right from at sparty subs what is the most recent baking project you did that you were proud of uh this is a great question i am an avid baker uh, especially since the pandemic started um, I mentioned last week about how I made some sour cream and chive dinner rolls for Thanksgiving. Those come, came out really well. I was really proud of those. Um, another thing I did last week, as a recipe I've done before, they were molasses spice cookies. Uh, I will post a link in the show notes to a video with the recipe for these. Uh, it's a recipe from Claire Saffitz, who I'm a massive fan of. Uh, and her book, Dessert Person, is a really great baking cookbook. Um, but these molasses spice cookies are, they have all of these warm spices like, you know, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, allspice. Um, so it's a perfect cookie for this time of year. And they're they're rolled in raw sugar, which kind of like caramelizes along the bottom when you bake them. Another great baking hack for anyone out there that makes cookies or is looking to make cookies you should freeze them, right? You make the dough, you you form the dough balls, put a bunch of them on a baking sheet, pop it in the freezer for a few hours until they freeze hard, put them in a Ziploc baggie. They'll keep for a month or so, month or two, um, and then you can just take out however many cookies you want to make, you know? You just need to you know, cook them at the same temperature you normally would, go for a couple more minutes, uh, you know, just keep an eye on them, and... The nice thing about cooking them from frozen, you don't have to thaw them either, just pop them in frozen. So you get the edges nice and crunchy, 
but then you still get like a soft, gooey center. Um, and that works especially well with this molasses spice cookie recipe. So uh, that is something I made that came out really well, and I would highly recommend that you try it. If you do try it, let me know that you did. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, and then final question tonight from at Ohio Canuck. What's your favorite whiskey? I love this question too. I love whiskey. I feel like I, I could talk for hours about whiskey, about how it's made, about the different kinds, about what I like, about what I don't like. I think that might need to be an off-season episode topic. If that's something you would like to hear about, again, let us know. There's so many different ways I could answer about what is my favorite whiskey. So I, I'm going to go with what is my go-to whiskey for the last year or so, uh, and it's the one I'm drinking tonight. It's Jameson Black Barrel. I consider myself primarily a bourbon fan, but I do like Irish whiskeys as well. And this whiskey is one that I feel like combines the best of both bourbon and Irish because it is aged in barrels that are double charred. So you still get that like freshly charred barrel element that bourbons have. But then it also still tastes clearly like a Jameson. It has that buttery shortbread cookie kind of element that you get from an Irish whiskey. It's just really delightful and reasonably priced too for... As good as it is, you know, it's not cheap, but it's also not super expensive. So uh, I would highly recommend that. If you if you like bourbons or you like Irish whiskey, uh, give that a shot. Other ones that I like recently, um, I got a bottle of Elijah Craig that I really enjoyed. Um, that was a very nice, again, very accessible price point bourbon. Um, my go-to bourbon is usually Woodford Reserve, which, you know, easy to find, not cheap, but also affordable and worth the price for what a good bourbon it is. My favorite bourbon is probably Jefferson Reserve. Love that one. The best whiskey I've ever had, I would have to go with Middleton Very Rare. Uh, it's a 25-year-old Irish whiskey. It's been a long time since I've had it, but the times that I had it, it was just a transcendent experience. So, um Definitely recommend that one, or just recommend Irish whiskeys in general. If that's not something, not a category you've explored, uh, definitely give it a shot. You know, Standard Jameson, can't go wrong with that. The cask mates are really interesting. The Black Barrel's great. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been going with recently. Any whiskeys that you would recommend to me in either the bourbon or Irish categories, let me know, because I would love to hear about that as well. All right, so that'll do it for us this week. A little bit of a shorter episode, but thanks for listening. Thanks for submitting those questions. We will probably do another mailbag uh, maybe as we get to the Olympic break. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned and follow us on Twitter as we solicit more questions for that. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates. Yeah.
I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.